What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby and Sean. Welcoming to our another episode of this week's Cronus Cast. Apologies, it is actually Monday and not Sunday. Uh, life happened yesterday, so we were un- unable to record. Yeah, I was quarantined. But Dash, you tell us, Sean, what did you do yesterday? Yesterday, not being quarantined, I went and saw Hamilton on Broadway. Ew. Yeah, my friend won the lottery. It's incredible. Uh, Hamilton reserves two tickets every single show, front row, for individuals that enter the lottery. And so my friend won, said, hey, do you want to go see Hamilton? It's like, yeah, obviously. And uh, I've had the good fortune of, of growing up in a, a pretty musical family, minus my dad who can't carry a tune. Um, so I've seen a, a bunch of Broadway shows uh, and got to play for uh, some other shows in the orchestra. And Hamilton was by far the most energetic, engaging show I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the The music was great. They, they had like a really cool... Uh, medley that was it was very like hip-hop focused the actors on stage were awesome there was like some dancing uh and and, and like moves that you, you would not see in, in some of like the old school phantom of the opera where they're walking around very boring very drab and just oh my we must say something now phantom of the opera is inside and this one was just like on the edge of your seat the entire time i uh-huh. had a it was a phenomenal time i was like on a high for an hour after i walked out Jeez. Yeah, the only time I've ever been on Broadway, I saw Lion King last year, and that's the only time I've ever watched Broadway. It was cool, but I was just like, eh. Oh, I love New York for that reason. Since I've moved here this summer, I've seen Book of Mormon, and I've seen Aladdin. And Aladdin was phenomenal because it's a Disney production. It's Mm -hmm. in the New Amsterdam Theater. It's gigantic. It looks like you're on a Disney set anyway. Uh, Book of Mormon was hysterical. It, the The Mormon Church actually takes out a full page ad in the Book of Mormon little pamphlet oh, yeah. that they provide you, and it says sometimes the book is better than the show. I I just think it's a it's funny that they play along with it. Um, but Broadway's great here. I mean, I talk about like you know living life to the fullest and taking advantage of the experiences that you can. Like this is for me Broadway and the shows and the art scene here is is what it's about. So what is the premise of Hamilton? Because I'll be honest, I don't know anything about the production. I just know that it's hella expensive to buy a ticket to Hamilton on Broadway. Yeah, it's stupid expensive. The tickets are sold out sometimes years in advance. So Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote this back in like 2000, I would say 14 or 15, about Alexander Hamilton. It took him eight years to complete mm-hmm. this work. Alexander Hamilton is a famous Federalist. He was the, as the show would tell you, the right-hand man for George Washington through the war. He had a number of kids. One thing that you'd find out uh, while being at the show is Hamilton wasn't the only Hamilton to be killed in a duel. Spoiler alert. Uh, Vice President Burr ended up killing Hamilton and Weehawken just across the river. Uh, Just like a year prior or couple, maybe three years prior, Hamilton's oldest son was killed in a duel almost in the identical position in Weehawken. Jesus. So <laughs> there's one thing I've learned about the Hamiltons. They can't shoot worth shit. Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad marksmanship back then, I guess. Awful marksmanship, but they made it seem it was all very uh, symbolic that the Hamiltons raised their pistol in the air and like an act of 
defiance to this very archaic way to settle disputes mm-hmm. while still just not recognizing maybe you were wrong in the first place. It's a bad way to go about conflict resolution. We'll just throw it out there. Not a Kronos official sponsored uh, event. Do not duel with one another. But he was instrumental in creating the federal bank as, as we know it, or uh, the, the treasury system that, that grew um, and subsequently could not really be turned over. Uh, the Constitution has stuff in it for the Commerce Clause and the Supremacy Clause, and it you know kind of talks about the powers of the legislature. And as the Secretary of the Treasury, he was really big on making sure that the United States could get out of debt, could borrow money, and could leverage the power that each state had and really grow the national treasury beyond just what we would you know try to really break it up um, with each one of the states acting as their own sovereign nation so it was really cool a a lot of the things that they talked about with his federalist papers which is something that he uh, in madison wrote um, about over about six months Uh, i've had to read a bunch of them uh, in con law at the beginning of the semester so for topically it was really cool to see it brought to life uh Lin-Manuel Miranda is, is a genius because there was so much that was so on point with what's taught in classrooms across the country, both in undergrad, graduate, and doctorate programs. And, I mean, it's commendable that he was able to get all that in really cool rap verses and great songs. Like, I teared up at the end of the, the musical because it was so good and so moving and so powerful. And then it was International Women's Day, so they brought the whole female cast out. I mean, all uh, in all, cool. phenomenal, phenomenal performance. That's cool. Yeah, I've uh, never, I'll be honest, I've never been like that musical or that into Broadway's, but I think, but Christina loves Broadway. She's seen like most of them. So maybe we should make the trip up, you know, once the whole coronavirus has settled down a little bit. Yeah, well, I don't think that's going to be anytime soon. Uh, my school canceled classes for the rest of today as well as tomorrow, and then we're moving to an online format until at least the end of March. So fortunately, I had another tote bag at school because I had to carry every single one of my textbooks. And then I have some example and explanation books that that go through uh, practical exercises. So I I walked home with every single book that I had because I just don't know when we're going to be able to return. That's wild, man. We had a uh, meeting at school last Friday where the dean talked to the entire school about their plans for like what would happen and so far like no changes so far like everybody's doing the standard stuff still going to the hospital but the only thing is like if you're in the hospital you're not supposed to see corona patients because they're trying to save on supplies which makes sense but i don't know i have uh i go to the emergency department next month so i'm a little i don't know if i'm a i'm not trying to weasel my way out of that it's it's scary but i one half of me thinks that we might be just reacting a, a oh. little rashly here. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. And then the other half thinks that, you know, we're doing the right thing, taking precautions, because we have such a large elderly community from mm-hmm. the baby boomer generation. And then with the increase in some of the respiratory diseases and uh, immune deficiency disorders out there, I can understand, especially in a city like New York, they want to take precaution. But last week we saw coronavirus go and hit a school that was further up in the Bronx and then Columbia announced last night that it was closing down for the week and so you've kind of been able to track this down moving down you know Broadway exactly okay who's going to be the next school so I 
I guarantee in the next two to three days, you'll probably see schools that are in lower Manhattan, like NYU, uh, probably shut their doors to do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, honestly, the only reason why I would, am considering trying to get out of my last rotation in med school in the emergency department is because it's not so much I'm worried about getting sick. I don't really get, like, on, like at this point, like, if I get coronavirus, what the fuck ever, like, I just get, like, a cold for a week, you know? It's more so the fact that I just don't want to go into, into quarantine because, like, I would hate to, like, you know, catch coronavirus and they put it in the house quarantine and then, like, not graduate on time, you know, or That'd something like that would be awful. That'd be all, or, or run out of toilet paper. Have you seen the runs that they have at Costco? Oh, They're yeah. Empty. It's just like, what the fuck are you trying to, like, why are you buying this toilet paper? Oh, cool. New Jersey just, New Jersey just declared a state of emergency for coronavirus. Great. Oh, uh, you're... You're well behind New York, so <laughs> look at you. Your side little garden state can't keep up. Yeah. I mean, even though I, I think there's like three cases I know of in North Jersey, in Bergen County. There's actually one here in South Jersey, like 10 minutes from me. So I'm sure that people, my buddy's in the ED right now on a rotation ED. And he says that there's a lot of people coming in to get ruled out for coronavirus. So it's just it's a matter of It's time. understandable. I mean, there people are freaking out on the subways. People are wearing these face masks. They're wearing gloves to touch. Oh my god! The uh, the you know, safety rails. And my thing is like, hey, if everyone's wearing gloves, I don't have to then, because <laughs> like, if nobody touches the rail and I'm the only one, then I don't know if I'm a carrier or not. But it's like got a three percent mortality rate, and not yeah, downplaying like two, that at all. But it's not like downplaying uh, that at all. But it's yeah. just, I, I think we're. I think people are, are just there's some extent we're, we're overreacting a little. I mean, you look at the markets just took a massive dump today. Oh, and my God, dude. OPEC yeah. and and their decision with the oil prices. So there's, you know, the futures market is completely gone. We sound like a bunch of NBA assholes right now. Um, but I know, like, politically, this is going to have huge ramifications. We're down to just two candidates on the Democratic side between Bernie and Biden and uh, Trump has been riding a, a very good wave of economic uh, health. And so now this is coming out. The one bad thing that I would say for his presidency in this very narrow aperture would be the fact that now that the economy will not be healthy going into a potential general election and him tasking Vice President Pence to run this. I think is just setting up the door for him to leave so he can announce like Nikki Haley. I read in an article might be his vice presidential candidate uh, uh, for, for the general election. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I just put up the, uh, I just Googled the um, coronavirus by age bracket or by age groups. So the fatality rate from ages zero through nine through 40 to 49 um, is about point zero point two percent fatal death rate, but when you go up to uh, eighty plus years, death rate is about twenty fifteen to twenty percent, while like seventy to seventy nine is eight percent, sixty sixty nine is three point six percent. So clearly, if if you're older than fifty or older than sixty, you you know it's probably like a little more dangerous for you. And then if you go down, I'm looking on this website. Looking down to comorbidities, so only 0.9% of health, quote-unquote healthy people, so people without medical comorbidities like cardio, like heart heart disease, diabetes, respiratory illness, high blood pressure, or cancer. So if you're healthy and you don't take any, any medications, 
even if you are elderly, you're only looking at like less than 1% chance of death for coronavirus. But if you have like a heart disease, you're looking at 13% risk. If you have diabetes, you're looking at 9% risk of death. So like it's pretty much essentially the coronavirus is the flu, where the flu typically kills people that are, you know, sick already or the elderly or the young, but all the coronavirus doesn't really kill the young. There have been no documented cases of, of anyone under the age of 10 dying from coronavirus. But anyways, I digress. Trump has some pretty good tweets about like the, the, like the flu has killed 20,000 people this year already. You know, why are we freaking out about a couple hundred deaths from the coronavirus? I think it just goes back to being a statesman and he's not polished at all. I, I think he's not going to get away with some of his more i don't know uh unpolished i'll say it again polished 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 uh, unpolished uh remarks just because at this point of three years of being in i think a little bit more is expected of a mm-hmm. president of the united states to really recognize that regardless of the population that is getting corona right now they're still americans they are still your potential voting demographic and you should put effort in to ensuring their safety and again realizing that the majority of cases and deaths have been with those uh, examples that you just cited uh, with health complications but I'm, I'm a little annoyed that we're just looking at this from a like a woe is me type scenario and what I mean by mm-hmm. that is like everyone on the news is now it's becoming like this this victimized uh, pandemic type talk where there's going to be runs on uh you know your grocery stores there we just talked about the runs on toilet paper paper. there hand sanitizer sanitizer. hand sanitizer was six hundred dollars on amazon uh people are saying that you know upwards of a hundred million could be infected with corona and you look back at like some of the other actual plagues like the black death Mm-hmm. that we had or the spanish influenza like those legitimately just decimated towns i literally I don't i don't see that happening here because i think technology is great and i guarantee you someone made a joke like earlier but like once this jumps to dogs you can be guaranteed that we're gonna find a a solution <laughs> because there's no way we're gonna let our pets die like that that is the that's the last stand nobody messes with our pets yeah, I was going to say, like, even going back to, like, the pandemics or, like, the huge epidemics, like, the flu pandemic of 1918, the fatality rate was about 2.5% that I'm looking at this article. So it's about the same, actually, percent of fatality rates that we're seeing right now with uh, coronavirus. So not to say that, you know, it's uh, just the flu, but it has the potential if we're not smart about how we, you know, try and contain the, the pandemic. It definitely has some potential repercussions as far as killing a lot of people. I'd be interested to see what this is doing to readiness levels across the army. I think there was oh, a yeah. report out of Korea. There was one soldier mm-hmm. that I went to like a, yeah, like a field training exercise that, that caught corona. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can only imagine that like installations are starting to like self quarantine and Mm -hmm. really limit the amount of, uh, travel that soldiers have. I feel badly if any of them had like spring break plans coming up with leave because I'm sure that's going to be a pain. I know Delta United JetBlue 
they're all giving some free transfer credit if you want to switch your flight or you cancel you can use the fee that would have been assigned to you or the the cost of your ticket towards like another purchase within a year mm-hmm. i don't and the problem is i don't think that's going to extend to get people that are purchasing like basic economy so basic economy yeah. is you don't have your seat assigned until you check in you can only have a carry-on but you can't cancel you can't refund it's just you're locked in and hoping that something doesn't happen like this and the last time i checked out uh the the feed for like prices and ticket stuff none of those types of tickets were going to be covered by the the airline like free service uh change fees so i think people are going to be locked into traveling yeah christina is actually supposed to go to japan next month to 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 tokyo uh but she actually canceled her trip she actually bought she actually buys i didn't realize this but she apparently she buys trip insurance on all her plane tickets which i was like what the fuck who does that but uh, she she has to go. Th- she has to go through the trip insurance company to get her money back now. But apparently, their insurance company is out giving her a hard time about like giving proof that she can't travel anymore. So I'm just like, what was the point of buying trip insurance at this point? <laughs> yeah, I just won't ever buy a basic economy ticket because I'm, uh, I'm trying to get out. I'm trying to get Colorado Springs on Friday, and yeah. like I I'll extend my trip. Uh, now that school's gonna be, you know, digital for the next couple of weeks, mm-hmm. but again, I can't. I'm I'm still waiting for Delta to give me a. I wish it was the real Delta. I'm still waiting for Delta <laughs> Airlines to give me that call because it was a four and a half plus hour wait um, to try to to talk to anyone. Um, so if you have family that's in Delta, hook us up, okay? Yeah. Hook us up. Find my trip info. Change it. Extend it. Do whatever you need to do. We'll send socks. That's the f- best and final offer. Yeah, like I have this entire month off, like all of March off right now. So I'm like, I I really kind of want to travel, but because everything is dirt cheap to travel right now. But at the same time, is like, is it really worth this close to graduating from med school, like getting coronavirus and then getting quarantined and then missing school and then potentially not graduating on time and potentially not starting residency on time, you know? So in my mind, it's not really worth it because I have, what's it, March ninth so in less than three months june 1st is when it's my report date to madigan so at this point i'm just trying to make sure i can graduate and get gtfo on time oh chuff feel jaw totally feel yeah i'm just looking to continue working out uh program test the programming so i'll be annoyed if i get quarantined i'll be honest i uh it'd be really hard to be quarantined in this apartment because it is tiny I've got a wall ball. I don't think I could jump rope because I don't think the ceilings are high enough. And I've got mm-hmm. a uh, an assault bike. bike. And our neighbors below us are already annoyed that we wake up at five and walk around like God forbid we do normal things. Yeah, I know they don't listen to this podcast because I hate them so much. I hate them so very much. Yeah, that's what's nice with my place. Uh, I've got the condo. The upstairs people moved out, so they and they've moved out like months ago. So there's nobody upstairs, so it's just me down on the first floor with Christina. So I've got the skier, I've got the echo bike, I've got some kettlebells, got some dumbbells. So I can do like full on like workouts in my living room right now. It's nice, That's awesome. real nice. Yeah, I thought I could do that here, and then we had to purchase a bunch of rugs to. Obviously, that covers up all the noise, um, but it doesn't stop me from hearing. What I can only imagine is a very loving relationship uh, right beneath my bedroom, but also 
a very vengeful, hateful relationship because between what I imagine again is just them wrestling uh, to them full out shouting at each other. And it's a very one-sided conversation. I can tell you uh, from hearing word for word what's said. I am so grateful that I have noise canceling devices, but oh like God. I've not been able to use this phone at all. I mean, this uh, the assault bike at all. Yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm never gonna live in an apartment again as much as I can help it. So I just signed a new going. lease for the Upper West Side, so <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck. I'm gonna. You're f- I'll do I the mean, apartment f- thing. Yeah, for at least a couple years, and yeah, then you're I'm, I'm moving out. I'm because again, if I'm gonna run it in New Jersey for. Uh, Congress, then I need to I need to establish some roots there. Get some track suits. You know what I'm saying? Some gold chains around my neck. You know, speak with my hands. You know, like like mozzarella. You know, in all things Jersey. Go Yankees. Stuff like that. I think some I'll be a really good candidate. Scott. Just yeah. watch Sopranos. That's all you need to know. Is just watch. Sopranos. No, I'll just watch the Office episode where Michael's getting oh uh, yeah shaken <laughs> down by the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> But insurance salesman, great episode. Uh, what were you saying? Oh yeah, because you're. I mean, but I guess you kind of expected that. Like going to school in the city, like obviously you're gonna have to live in an apartment. But like for me, um, you know, I don't. I don't think I will have to. Well, I'm definitely not living in the city anytime soon. That's for sure. Especially being in the army. You know, I don't. Is there any army bases that are in the city? I guess like Walter Reed is kind of close to the city. As far as like nor like Northern Virginia and Maryland, like close to DC, but there's still like plenty of suburbs and houses there. I don't know where else in the army. What other army post is like primarily city and urban living? Um, I mean, could you say Savannah? I mean, it's not like really a city, but yeah, but you have like, like houses too. Yeah, that's true. I did have a house there. Yeah, like God, I wish like, I could go back and buy that house. What a stupid pass on an investment. Like, oh, if I only knew what the actual price of real estate was elsewhere, I would have, I would have used my VA loan on that in a heartbeat. Oh yeah. I'm still, uh, I'm still trying to, cl- oh, well, we are actually under contract for another, for a house, a second house now. Did I tell you this? We got, we're under contract for a new house now. Yeah. The first one didn't work out. That was the one with the garage yeah. gym, right? Yeah. That was the one with the massive barn for the garage gym. But like with the inspection report that it was like some knob and two wiring. So the house was built in 1911. So, uh, great year, you know, that nineteen, which is the year, year before the Titanic sank. Just right. for reference, I was just referencing the nineteen eleven handgun, but you know, <laughs> the Colt nineteen eleven. Anyways, uh, the house was built in nineteen eleven, so the electricity in the attic is probably that old too, because it's like knob and tube wiring or some shit. I've never even heard of it before, but uh, we got the inspection report. And then, you know, you have the uh, ability to rebuttal and say, like, we want you to fix this, whatever. And they're like, the the ha- the owners are like, we're not fixing the electricity. So I was like, well, fuck that. I'm not spending, like, $20,000 to replace electricity. So we just backed out of that and found a new house, which is uh, pretty nice. It's, like, a, not the best area in Washington, I'll be honest. Uh, but this new house was built, like, three years ago. So it was a three-year house. And then it's a pretty nice house. But uh, That's awesome, dude. I... I, I think that whole process that you just highlighted for, for those of you that are out there that are thinking about purchasing a home or if you're thinking about selling a home, uh, it is so incredibly stressful after you go under contract and then you have uh, the inspector go by and check out everything because if you're the seller, the potential buyer might come back with like, you know, a dozen things that they want, like 
Bobby just listed the electricity when um, I was selling uh, my place out in Colorado Springs. They wanted to like fit like completely redo one of the walls of the outside because there was a dog door and i was like absolutely not they wanted the new yeah. polybutylene piping or whatever uh copper piping um for the plumbing which would have been like 65 to 8500 dollars a new hvac system so just like get out like either you take it or you're walking mm-hmm. so like i'm like i try to it's like i try to be reasonable like with the last house we had we put like a pretty reasonable request into like you know get a, like an electrician to take a look at like the attic electricity have like a hvac guy come and look at the hvac system to have a plumber come in and look at the plumbing because it's like you know the house is built in 1917 but they like were not interested at all in like having any of our like rebuttals so we just said you know what we're not going to even bother doing business with these people because we're not going to take like the probably like the 30 40 thousand dollars it'll take to like replace all the old shit in the house so Long story short, we're under contract in the new house, and I'm dragging the fuck out of my feet right now on the mortgage because my uh, lender is trying to lock me in right now, and I'm dragging my feet so hard right now. Dude, the rates keep dropping. Like, it, yeah, that's man, the, that's the right call. Don't even, do not feel for pressure. Land. If anything, you should go and like look for other lenders just to create a lending war. Yeah, I will. I will say I'm using you. I have a lender at USAA and like a local lender in Washington. And I actually kind of feel bad for this guy because I can tell he's like he cares and like wants my business, but he like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be like a responsible, you know, responsible consumer and shopping around and getting them to compete with each other. So honestly, I'm probably gonna go back back to this guy, the local under anyways, because he's been like doing a really good job of like texting me every other day, checking in, and seeing how things are going. Oh, that's so that's like, absolute. That's that's necessary because I'll tell mm-hmm. you what, when. I was looking for the uh, the mortgage uh, lender. Uh, the place I ended up going with was a local Colorado Springs uh, joint, and like I've still subsequently talked to them within the last couple months. They were huge in making sure that the tax information got sent and adjusted uh, for this last year's taxes for the sale. Uh, and going through all the I- IRS stuff, uh, which is really interesting. If you have time, if you want to read up on the, the code, it's really fascinating to see how they, you know, develop your capital gains tax. Um, but yeah, my my buddies that have gone with USAA have had like pretty, pretty awful experiences because they are very slow to respond. It's not a personal relationship. You might get mm-hmm. someone else every single time you call. Yes. And then trying to send that information to the homeowners uh in order to like you know settle up uh sometimes takes much longer um than than it should if you if you had like a personal individual that was working on it that you can name oh yeah for sure like our um our uh real estate agent in washington was even like hey like i strongly strongly recommend you guys not to go to usa because usa like he's had clients in the past where they used usa for their for the lending and the entire deal like falls through at the end because the usa drops the ball somewhere so just for everybody out there, you know, USA is good just because they offer really low rates, but you should really do some due diligence and like look at some local lenders because you you definitely want that, like Sean was saying, the personal touch uh, with the lender and being able to talk with them and, you know, having a personal relationship with people. So I'm just being kind of like a dick and like dragging my feet on this and like going to saying like, I'm thre- like not threatening, but like telling him I'm like going to other lenders to just check the rates out to see what he can give me but ultimately at the end of the day even if he can't be like usa i'm gonna go with this guy no but speaking of dealing with dicks how would you deal if 
how would you deal? Jesus, finish your sentence. How would you deal with a leader that was in charge of your physical fitness if he or she or they were grossly out of shape? So I actually had a pretty similar situation. Pretty much all the time in the big army, I was in the situation. So in Bullock, um, we it was all kind of like student PT run, and like the guy that was running PT was sucked, sucked at student PT. So I actually ended up volunteering to run student PT in Bullock. So I did that. In big army, but second ID, you know, I was when I was on staff, like the S three, um, wanted like you know tags like some junior junior lieutenant to like run PT and like the guy that was running before sucked terribly, so I went to the three and like pitched him like my uh, like a PT plan. He like accepted me, so I think that's like kind of the easy thing to do is that if you are, I would say not suffering but you know dealing with some shitty PT from a leader i would either approach that leader to offer to take over the um the the responsibilities of programming pt and running pt or just you know going up even higher than that you know going if it's a squad leader going up to the platoon sergeant you know something like that just to see if you can um leverage uh your skills to run pt that's more effective because there's one thing i hate I fucking hated it in the big army was dealing with shitty, shittily run PT programs. Uh, so literally every time since the entire time I was in big army, I ran PT. Yeah. That a lot of what you said is I think completely true for a lot of individuals that are out there that find themselves more physically fit than their leaders. And the, the problem is most of those leaders don't have the humility to step aside because they think it's a dig on them if they're not coming up with some fitness. Um, I think like right now I'll share the quick story of kind of how Cronus fit, really took off when I got to Carson and I was like kind of figuring out exactly what the PT plans look like. I I saw that, you know, we had over 50 miles of trails. That was the quote that I was sold on when I was going through in processing. And the division chief of staff was the one who talked about all these trails. I was like, it's great. I'll get trail running shoes. I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely tear this place apart. And then subsequently, I find that nobody's doing PT. So, like, I come up with some PT plans. Uh, Gonzo and I go up to uh, the chief of staff. We sit down. We're like, hey, we've got this PT plan. We want to talk about, like, how leaders need to be more engaged. We have an awesome, awesome strength program at Carson. Um, There are some phenomenal coaches. There are very knowledgeable both in endurance and in strength and nobody's utilizing them they want to go and be assigned to battalions and run their pt programs yet nobody uses them so this division chief of staff non-infantry non-tabbed says to me like do you want to command i said you're damn right sir i want to command and he says to me well then i think you should focus on maintenance I'm sitting there kind oh. of like dumbfounded, like, hey, I, I have months of PT plans here for you at the squad level, but which you can all go and get on the website too, by the way. If you're looking at like, how can we include weapons training, uh, communications training, just basic stuff into a squad PT session, like it's all there. It's all free. Like, just check it out. And he was like, no, this isn't what I'm focusing on. When I was a brigade commander, you know, like humble brag, uh, my best commanders were the ones who had the best maintenance. And I'm like, God, this is this is completely backwards because one of the things that makes the Ranger Regiment so incredible is because 
it's such a fit organization. So if you do the very simple things very well, when you're faced with obstacles or challenges in training and the, the, the variables that are thrown at you, it's very easy to adapt because you don't have to worry about not getting to an objective. You don't have to worry about not getting up and over some you know bunker or some obstacle. And so that's when I got back and I remember talking with you back in May of 17 and be like, dude, let's start this. Like, I'm tired of people not being able to find like good fitness. I'm tired of the secret of fitness being something you have to buy for, you know, upwards of $20 a month. Um, and I was like, just so disgusted by it. But senior leaders in the army now are just, they're not putting any effort into PT planning. Nobody has a six week plan. Nobody has a 12 week plan. It's just kind of day to day. These, you know, very fat leaders kind of going, ah, I'm good at distance running slow. So we're going to do distance running slow again today. And we'll, we'll close out with a 20 push up burner, like just awful preparation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I think that's like a commentary on just the army in general, um, especially with like leadership. Cause like, uh, you know, like your PT plan is probably like dictated by, or actually no, I'm not even gonna say that. I think I'm, I'm, I'm talking my ass here. So I'm not gonna say that, but yeah, I think in the army we're definitely. I think it's definitely changing uh, with PT, but I think it still like falls back into the old tried and true of like Mondays you go for a run, Tuesdays you do the muscular endurance, Wednesdays you go for a ruck, Thursdays you run some more, Fridays you have like a company run. But like I think we're hopefully getting away from just running every day and just doing calisthenics every day, muscular endurance every day. But that's all the senior leaders do because. You have a, you have a bunch. Oh shit! Let me. I gotta pick up this call. This come from Delta. One second. We'll push pause. All right. Sorry guys. We are back from a slight break. Sean uh, was actually just called by Delta. So. Uh, yeah, guys. I'm, I'm. I'm. I've been selected. Worked out full. Went full circle for us. Uh, went around full circle. Uh, what were we talking about? We we're talking about um. I think just OP PT in the army. And, yeah. Yeah, I would say, like, uh, I'm hoping the ACFT drives a lot more changes in the military because, um, like, I'm sure that you've noticed that, like, you know, it's, uh, people do what's tested. So if you're testing something, people are going to do that. So in my mind, you know, by changing the ACFT and adding all these extra events, you know, people are actually might start training for these events now instead of, you know, with the old APFT, just run push-ups and sit-ups. Yeah, and I... I think, too, for, for those of you out there that are leaders, if you recognize that you have some young specialist that's just a stud when it comes to fitness, uh, like our friend, you know, Jackson uh, in the core, like that dude was a Division One wrestler and is super knowledgeable, um, it, empower them, like make them come up mm -hmm. and help develop a PT plan. You might you don't have to be a subject matter expert at every single facet of the military, but what you do have to be an expert at is managing your systems. And part of that system includes fitness. So if you're not the go-to member of your team on that, you should probably find someone on your team that is because you're only as good as your weakest individual. Um, and if you're not doing anything to foster that development, uh, one, their leadership is going to be lacking when they finally do get an opportunity to lead. They might be a little bitter. They might want to leave the army. And two, you might not really be getting out the most of your soldiers and finding out what some of their other weaknesses might be when they're under more pressure if you have to come up with a fitness plan. It's just a lot of this builds on it on itself and the sooner that you can show some humility and say like hey this person's more fit than me then you know 
the the better your organization i'm sure is going to be in the long run oh yeah for sure i mean like just empowering uh subordinate like you know that's like a a perfect like a great leadership um tool to use especially especially because of fitness like you know a good thing if you're like a squad leader you could have like one private run pt for a month and then switch with different private the next month it goes and you can put them in their counseling statements you can put them up for like experience leadership development like it's just a win-win situation for everybody involved like and then you as a leader you know you can still have some say in the programs like have them write a program for a month and you go over it with them and then you know see what works what doesn't work and then you can you make a huge learning experience for everybody involved and just a great you know cohesion building leadership you know all sorts of facets of you know leading can be just distilled into just running pt per pt for a month in your squad or platoon or whatever it is and i think this also touches on something that it it shouldn't have to be said but i think it has to be said you shouldn't look at this as some like this is a benevolent act from your leader i'm i'm empowering you i'm allowing you to lead don't do anything foolish or i might take it away like this is a this is their right they're allowed to come up with PT plans. They are allowed to lead. They're empowered to do so. It's a requirement for their duty position and their rank. So it's less of a, I'm extending them this opportunity. I hope they don't hang themselves by the loose threads I've been given. It's more of a, I'm going to go check in on them occasionally so that they understand that I just want what's best for them. But I also want to get a smoke session out of it. I, I loved working out with my squads uh, and we can talk now too on kind of what PT looks like in the range regiment because it's a little bit different than the conventional army you go down and you're going to find at least at least one squad at some point during the week doing a five mile run and they're going to do kit runs and they're going to go put on a ruck and they're going to crush it because they know the basic standard is what these rangers are going to see at rap week and what you see at cert and so it's just it's preparing them for the known test and so there's no getting around like oh no we should we should go and take them and do bench it's like no they're gonna get a slot to ranger school during the monthly rpft and if they don't blow it out of the water well then all of a sudden you don't have someone in your squad to highlight as oh he's at ranger school right now that's why he's not here and then also going back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago you shouldn't be worried about potentially losing a guy to go to schools like Ranger because in the long run, they're only going to bring back uh, a wealth of knowledge. Because for those platoon leaders that are out there, you know the job's not that difficult. Like It's not, it's not like rocket science. You have you are surrounded yourself with some of the best leaders in the Army. And I'm not speaking now just in the Ranger Regiment. I'm talking about in general. And you're going to have usually a very competent commander who's going to have you know a good 3 and XO in the battalion to lean on, a great first sergeant that's going to have you know, anywhere from 12 to 20 years of experience. So you don't do it all alone and allowing your team to go out and be better and professionals is only going to benefit you if you want to look at it selfishly in the long run. So just get out there and make sure that your team knows exactly what the focus is. And that's the individual getting better and the individual feeling part of the team. And fitness is a great way to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Yeah, I'll say like uh, I had a little bit different uh, experience with PT with my guys just because we were the fist and, uh, you know, I let, it was all team leader driven for the most part. And but at, towards the end of my stay, you know, 
we had all tabs. So I was just like, well, I'm not going to tell you guys what to do. You guys are already tabbed. You know, you guys are adults. You can do PT on your own. So that's I think a good that's thing. Say that, say that again, though. How many, how many Rangers did you have and how many had tabs? So I think at the end I had five FOs, uh, which were all tabbed. That's phenomenal. That's like such a great statistic because what's their what's their branch assignment? Uh, so they're they're all thirteen foxes, the FAs, FOs. Yeah, so they're not they're not even like the eleven series that everyone expects is just going to go through. So to have a fist section that is completely tabbed out, when you know sometimes you're just hoping to get like another tab to, to come back and be a team leader before one gets promoted like that's phenomenal although i will say there's a little bit of selection bias involved we had a couple of shit bags that we kicked out of the fist and like made them well actually we just kicked them out of the fist anyways uh so they got kicked out uh and then we also weren't getting any new guys because our company deco was transitioning to the special platoon so we didn't get any new guys so i will say there's a little bit of selection bias there but at the end of the day you know i did i did i put that on my oer bullet that was an oer bullet having a fully ranger qualified fist Thank you very much. That's I phenomenal. Think, I will say that's probably the only time in the entire army that's ever happened to fully ranger for qualified fist, aside from like, I don't know. Maybe a I couple other battalions yeah. that, that probably do it at some point. Yeah, at some point. But uh, yeah, not to jerk myself off or anything. Yeah, but like fitness in, in range regiment was like, it was great because the squad leaders oh, knew yeah. exactly. That was, that was the first place that I was able to go to where I didn't feel like my platoon sergeant and I had to really be hands in the cookie jar like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. looking for crumbs like we knew exactly what those rangers were doing at all times because they had a plan that worked when they were brand new rangers before they tabbed they were executing it and again it's you teach them one time and then the ranger regiment just takes it and just improves it and improves it and that goes back to a topic we covered earlier about leadership you're expected to when you take over a ranger platoon you improve it as as much as you can making sure that you are maintaining like what the status quo is for the ranger regiment but at the end of the day it's just like just get it a little bit better so that this special operations unit is continuously looked upon for the hardest missions and that's one of the things again fitness plays an incredible role uh in, in developing the rangers i mean there were several missions i remember going on and feeling completely taxed and gassed uh through the movements and the other platoon in our company doing the exact same and in some instances they had some very long uh treks and they're just like thank god these individuals are in such good shape because when i got to carson i was like there might be uh, if you were to give me a company of 120 uh random company i i don't think like 20 percent would have been able to keep up with the rangers uh in afghanistan and that was before we even got to the objective and had to do the hard part uh yeah i was gonna say like uh like that was the biggest thing that I noticed coming from Big Army to Ranger Regiment it was like in the Big Army it was like there was maybe one or two like maybe the ninety like you know I was like in the ninety ninth percentile in terms of physical fitness, and then coming to Regiment I was like maybe the fiftieth percentile <laughs> like maybe you know, and it's uh, just like what going do you do, through like, RASP yeah, like going through RASP with with all of the the junior officers not not even counting the the commanders or the the captains that were coming back to vie for command. But you, you go from being like one of the top lieutenants in your battalion, your brigade, probably the division. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, there were, I can't remember. There were more than five. Uh, how many were there? Were? But I, I remember falling like at number three or four in fitness. And that was like overall, there were events that I was like sixth or seventh 
and then events where it's like second and third and you're just like you have to try to find that happy medium and realize that again you're there to just prove that you know you meet the standard if you can go beyond the standard that's fantastic but you're going to find yourself in some incredible company i mean there were mm-hmm. just like the other uh fso's uh that that you served with and other platoon leaders you know like brian like that dude crushed us in every single event like the fitness level that he had is so beyond what i could ever achieve in my lifetime but that's just something you have to have some humility you have to recognize you're going to have strengths that others might not have and you're going to have weaknesses that somebody's going to be very strong and you just got to again manage that team and find out how to how to overcome that obstacle Mm -hmm. yeah but i think that's a a a great testament too in terms of uh like going if you're like a big fish in a little pond like you should move on to a bigger pond you know and i think that's a good rule of thumb that you should always keep in mind no matter what you're doing in terms of like in the army in terms of life fitness um you know business whatever it is you're doing like once you're like if you're the top performer or like the big fish in the pond so to speak you're probably in, in a too small of a pond to really be able to challenge yourself and um I probably talked about this in like one of my earlier podcasts, like year, like last year. But like, you know, when you're the bit, when you're the best, or when you think that you're the best amongst your peers, then you're aren't challenging yourself or put into a very challenging situation. No, if if you're not challenging yourself, you are not taking advantage of the opportunities that have been presented. And it goes back to like, do you want to play varsity or not? Mm-hmm. If you don't mm-hmm. want to play varsity, just quit. Like there's there's no room for mediocrity, and I think that's one of the frustrating things. And we have such an awesome, like Cronus athlete fam following. Where the I would say the most common question that we've that we've received to this date has been, how do you deal with individuals that aren't motivated, and what are ways to motivate them, or what if you're dealing with unmotivated leaders? And that like guys, that is like a really hard answer because there, there's so many extenuating circumstances to each one of your you know specific scenarios but in general i think it just comes down to again open uh, open dialogue and communication and then when you have that opportunity i mean like absolutely crush them physically like Mm -hmm. put them through the wood chipper just make up a gauntlet like leave no question in their mind that they are less than when it comes to fitness and that if they don't follow you or do what you're doing they are only going to, you know, further subject themselves to a, a world of embarrassment the moment anyone outside of maybe that squad, that platoon sees them do fitness with you. So, like, really take it on. Um, you know, being an adult and candid and honest feedback, you, you got to remember, especially for the, the military individuals out there, like, your job at the end of the day is to pull a trigger. And, you know, hopefully your sights are on somebody when you do it. Um, and it's effective, but with that great responsibility should also come some of the skill sets to, to communicate effectively. Cause if you can't, if, if you're going to have such a great responsibility to end someone's life or to go into combat, I think doing the simple thing, like talking to a leader should be much easier, uh, than that. So for what it's worth, like there are much harder decisions you're going to make in your life and possibly subject yourself to talking to your leader should not be one of them. Absolutely. Um, yeah that's good that's a great feedback always you gotta keep pushing the envelope like no matter what it is and then if you have the shitty leader that isn't allowing you to that you feel isn't allowing you to thrive like there's plenty of opportunities for you to you know really 
exemplify or you know put in or demonstrate your worth or your abilities uh plenty of opportunities to do that regardless of like what leadership situation is you know and i, I kind of hit that like cop out that people that guys use that like say oh i'm getting in the army because i've had shitty leadership the entire time it's like well yeah you might have had shitty leadership but like what did you do with the shitty leadership you know did you just say oh i have shitty leadership so i'm gonna accept that and just use that as an excuse for not trying or did you take that and said, I have shitty leadership, but I'm going to make, I'm going to be the best soldier that I can be, you know, given that I have shitty leadership. So I'm going to put in the extra time on my own and seek out mentors and seek out leadership and seek out guys that can teach me the right things and make me a better, better soldier because I owe it to the rest of the country and for everybody else around me to be the best one that I can be, regardless of the circumstances that I am in. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I think most individuals that have been tagged as leaders in your formation you're probably going to find that they're bad leaders and that's not saying objectively they're bad subjectively from your point of view people are going to you're naturally going to find some sort of like glaring fault and you're going to find you probably dislike more of the people you have to follow um, than the ones that you like and I think that's natural to to have that opinion especially of yourself like you should always feel like you could take on the next role the next responsibility but don't let that deter you from continued service because really at the end of the day when you get a chance to look back and go okay you know what captain so-and-so wasn't so bad major so-and-so wasn't so bad lieutenant colonel so-and-so colonel so-and-so wasn't so bad um, just at the time you thought they were worse than they potentially were so Keep that in mind at, you know, hindsight is, is twenty twenty or 2015 if you got PRK like me. But, you know, just just have, again, humility is such a incredible tool to have in your kit bag. And, uh, you know, people are just trying to do the best that they can in, a, in an all-volunteer service. And at the end of the day, one of the things, and it's so weird that this movie left such uh, an impact on me because it, it has nothing to do, I think, really with leadership. I'm sure someone can write a book about it. But in Glorious Bastards, when uh, Brad Pitt's character, you know, shoots um, Hans Lander's, like, you know, Nazi private dude. Uh-huh. And he's like, I bargained with your general for that man's life. You will be shot. And he's like, well, I've been chewed out before. Yeah, I've been chewed out. Like, that was my motto almost with every single decision. It was like, mm-hmm. I, I, I might be chewed out for this. Like, that's okay, whatever. And and so you shouldn't fear, you know, potential negative feedback. You, should, you shouldn't seek it out. But you're probably going to be yelled at at some point, and you're probably not going to like the leader that's doing it. You just got to gotta roll with it. And the longer you stay in, the more you're going to have – you know, ample opportunities to to meet individuals that really impact you. I mean, like some of the best leaders I have ever served with, one was an engineer field grade, like at Carson, like hands down, top three officers I've ever served with in my entire life. Like the, this guy got it. Like he understood what his strengths were. He understood what his weaknesses were. But the team that he built around him was utterly fantastic and the way he communicated with every single individual on the team and empowered them like I got to work and I wanted to do work for him like I wanted to turn products in as perfect as possible because I wanted to make sure that I set him up for success if he had to go brief my product like you're going to find yourself maybe not following a standard path where you think oh I have to have my mentor be my direct line supervisor or my senior rater 
you're going to find mentors all over the army the longer you stay in just again patience it it's a very long and windy road but when you find someone you'll be totally stoked absolutely like uh looking back on things like hindsight 2020 like when i was lieutenant i was a pretty cocky motherfucker and i did not appreciate like having some of the better leaders i had around me and it wasn't until like now looking like probably like looking back on it now it's like some of the people i didn't like like my company commander in the time rest in peace uh and and range regiment like my first commander was awesome or i perceived him as being awesome but the second one uh captain augie gonzalez like i hated him like i hated working under him i thought it was like a pencil pusher like a huge guy that only cared about like products and making things look right but like little did i know like how much his uh not really mentorship because it wasn't really it wasn't really a two-way road but like more of his like directing nature on like his high level of um i guess high standards when it came to like doing products and planning and that kind of thing really like kind of shaped me and made me a much better leader and person nowadays and i really kind of uh honestly like i really regret not making more of an effort to, to learn more from him because at the time i thought it was just like you know i was young dumb and stupid you know didn't really have the the maturity the emotional maturity emotional intelligence to really appreciate what was going on and how he was actually shaping and mentoring me and like now you know since he died last year like rest in peace uh i really regret not being able to pick his brain more and learn more from him in terms of leadership because obviously like if you're a fucking company commander ranger regiment like you did something right you know to make it that right. far like you fucking did something right it doesn't matter like where you came from like what you did and then and I just wasn't mature enough to really appreciate that. So I'm sure there are guys out there just like I was, um, young guys like 18, 19, or like young lieutenants that are working with people that they don't, they don't think are worthy, uh, to, that they think they're better than their superiors and aren't worthy of them. But I promise you, like the people that are put, that are your superiors, generally speaking, are probably there for a reason. And you probably have, it's you should turn that discerning eye in in inward to yourself to, to see what is actually you know irritating you bothering you about your about your superior or your leader because there's a good chance it might be you uh that's causing issues not necessarily their your leader but and sure. i digress you know i mean that that's the you know learning from people that you originally felt very either alienated from or you felt uh some resentment towards i remember the first live fire I ever did as a platoon leader, I didn't understand that a live fire had to be scripted. Like you, you had to follow every single, uh, firing position. You had to, you know, establish a very slow and methodical process to go through your sectors of fire and shifting fire and all these reports. And when I got the op board for what we were going to do at hood, I remember walking the lane being like, who the fuck would ever put a support by fire here? Like, we essentially are just making a V-shaped ambush. Like, this is stupid. Why Why on earth would I ever do this? And I was giving the op board to my platoon, and I said something like, guys, this is the plan that, you know, we were briefed by the company commander. Like, that's dumb. We're going to make some small adjustments. Like, this is where uh, weapon squad's going to go. Um, these are going to be the triggers for us to shift. We'll, we'll have this done in half the time will save like a ton of ammo because we won't be you know forcing a sport by fire to go through 600 rounds of length like we're gonna get this and at the back of my formation i just hear lieutenant camperson 
he didn't have that kind of voice but for for from my perspective that's what mm-hmm. it was like this hand of god coming down what do you think you are doing i'm like oh no where is he i can't see him and he goes get the fuck over here and i go over there and he's like don't you ever do that again and i'm still sitting here like i don't understand this tactically does not make sense and then it wasn't until like i don't know a month or two later where i had to set up um, some more squad live fire and validating events. I was like, Oh, like that's why we had to follow a script. Like I get it. And then, you know, subsequently in all the live fires I've, I've had to set up from platoon to company, um, and joint. It was like, it was, you know, that, that always stuck with me. Okay. If I have to make a live fire, I'm going to make it as realistic as possible. Um, you know, just because of that one learning example. Now looking back on, it, I was like, that was probably like a top five, moment in the career was like i have to really reflect on how humil how humble i am in front of others um and really make sure that i'm educated before i open my mouth and sound like a total idiot which i still to this day do but like in the military that was like you you can make a mistake once is what i've learned don't ever make it again if you make it again mm-hmm. you're gone mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and it's just funny you know like thinking about like my young dumb days like i probably i was a fucking shitty i won't say i was a shitty but like there are some things there are so many things i could have done better uh looking back on it like like the relationships i had with some of the people I, that worked with like not only like leaders and but also subordinates just like i don't know how i made it you know like looking back on it but i guess it's part of the learning process too like you're gonna have to like you said you're probably gonna get chewed out you get chewed out once you know you learn from it and move on but man if i could go back now and, t- and go back to when i was like 22 and just tell you tell myself like what to do what not to do man i can't imagine what that would be like yeah i i feel like i was i was like very cocky almost to the point of arrogance uh, oh yeah 100 platoon leader at hood because it's like this is a mech formation half the battalion commanders don't even have tabs half of them don't have any combat badges um, you're dealing with, you know, lifelong death before dismount, uh, motto, you know, wearing card carrying tankers. Um, and so I remember, you know, you just, you make mistakes. Another, another mistake, uh, that I've made while we're on the subject again, like, you know, finding out what that limit is, is a, a briefing and going through an MLAT rehearsal with my ranger platoon. And, you know, it, at hood when i would brief an op board it was essentially i briefed the whole thing minus the platoon sergeant's bit because there was i i never learned that there were parts that the squad leaders would even brief you know at ranger school like I, I don't i don't remember if we even had the squad leaders talk during uh the op board um now that i'm thinking about it and like i remember i i breezed through like my first and second squads uh task and purpose and general maneuver and we got through the whole op board and like my platoon sergeant was phenomenal, but intimidating as fuck. Like you've met him in Savannah and he just pulled me aside and my squad leaders came up and, uh, my first squadron goes, sir, what the fuck? And I'm like, what? Like, I thought that was a great brief. And my platoon sergeant goes, sir, don't ever fucking do that again. I'm like, (laughs) what, what did I do? (laughs) Like, I have no idea what's wrong. He goes, you completely stepped all over their role in this brief. Like, you give a general skew maneuver, they go task and purpose, they go into the details that all their rangers are looking for because their rangers look up to them as gods. And I was like, I let's run this back. Like, let's go. I told the entire platoon, you know, apologized 
uh, for my ignorance again. And I never did it again. And then from there on out, it was like, it was awesome, mm-hmm. you know, collaborating and briefing with them. But again, you make the mistake once, don't do it again and, and have the humility to admit to everyone, even, even if, it, if, if, if you feel the instance, um, might not totally be necessary, but if your Rangers know that at the end of the day you have their best interests at, at heart, or the soldiers know you have their best interests at heart, like they can't, you can't take anything away from that, or they can't take anything away from you for for being honest, because you know that's where that trust is going to develop early in a relationship. Right. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, I don't, I can't remember anything on top of my head, but I, I there are plenty of times looking back in like the past where I've not done the right thing, or like, or just was being a complete asshole. I didn't realize until someone told me I was being an asshole and then realized, Oh, I was being an asshole. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And then the, it's only, 2015. yeah, I'm probably, actually, I don't know. I think it was 2015, a couple years ago. I got, I got LASIK. I didn't get PRK, uh, but probably, about, probably down in 2020 now. But anyways, like, but that's the thing, like that comes with being humble and learning from your mistakes is that the key of that is learning from your mistake. Like, it doesn't really, you know, there's plenty of people out there that don't learn from their mistakes, you know? <laughs> no, and that's the that's the worst part. I, you know, law school, uh, someone was asking, you know, what, what a day looks like at, at school. Um, and first semester, it's a little bit different than it was second semester. First semester, I was waking up, I was working out, I was coming home in the evening around like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock and working out again. So I was getting like two a days in. Um, but then I would study and I would just spend like a really long time outlining these cases and in, in what we call briefs at school where it's, you know, like it's a eight step process of, you know, like a couple pages sometimes worth of notes. And then when I took my tests, I realized that like, hey, my writing is not developing to where I'm clearly uh, expressing, you know, what the the holding was in this case and how it influences and in resolving the ambiguity in some statute or some fact pattern. And so this semester, I've completely altered the way I study. I focus on, you know, the big picture, but then I'm practicing much more at some of these supplemental books that are developing like writing habits and reading mm-hmm. on writing. Yeah, that's great. You, you have to be able to reflect back on your successes and your failures. If you're really good at something, like don't drop that habit. If you suck at something, if you suck at something more than like six months, that's on you. Like, that's not like there's some like eh. weird cosmic device. You just suck. Eh. Like, so fix yourself. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you won't like get in the fucking semantics. But yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, definitely like, uh, I, that's, that's a good point that you bring up is like the, uh, the constant reflection and AARs. I don't necessarily call them AARs anymore because you know i'm not in the fucking army anymore and nobody would know what i'm talking about with aars but you know just fr- just having the ability to after something to look back on it and have that discerning eye and look at back at what you did well and what you didn't do well and just improving on that like i mean that's a constant pro- that's the, the constant improval process for life just in general you know looking back on your past and, and seeing where you made mistakes and then not making the same mistakes again no, I appreciate that that feedback too there, dude. Like again, we've we make mistakes and you know, we've been hitting it a lot, but you know, just be best. Three weeks in a row. Be best. Be best. Man, that's kinda crazy how that's become quickly become our, our one of our new models, just be best. I mean, immigrants make this country great. Like that's what she brought. 
Yeah, that's true. Whatever. We won't get into that. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? I think we kind of beat that dead horse. Oh, uh, this month, the charity that we're focusing on, you want to hit that up? Yeah, so, uh, so, so Sean and I have been talking um, about doing like a monthly charity that we're going to you know, highlight a charity once a month and kind of uh, donate some of our funds for that and kind of bring some awareness and then help encur- and kind of encourage some of our followers to donate some money to some of these very charitable organizations that we you know, want to highlight to you guys. Um, I am, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but last month, was it last month? February? Uh, I was in the palliative care service. I was in the palliative care clinic, and then we had that 24-year-old with brain with an inoperable brain cancer uh, who came in, and you know we had an exchange. You know, I told him that you know I was jealous of him because he got a chance to play D1 football. Um, and then he turns around and goes, "Yeah, but I'm jealous of you because you did become a doctor." So you know, a super humbling and grounding experience, and really kind of highlighted uh, you know somewhere that we can help, kind of help drive some um you know development or research or kind of improve um outcomes for people like uh like this guy you know because he's probably gonna die in a couple of years to be honest like to be upfront this guy is his tumor had progressed from the last visit we saw him in the clinic um so he's probably got you know a couple months a year left is what they say months a year is left of his life um so i actually reached out to one of my buddies who is really big into neurosurgery so I asked him um, if he knows anybody or any foundations or any research uh, labs that are really big into um, develop uh, into researching brain cancer and and for finding some solutions. So there's a lab in in at UCLA, a uh, Dr. Prinz, I want to say at UCLA, who's doing a lot of research into uh, brain uh, glioblastoma, uh, uh, which is a type of brain cancer. But basically, uh, I'm still kind of waiting on him to. to uh, put me in contact with somebody in the lab that we can start, um, you know, moving some funds and start generating some interest into their work because, you know, brain cancer, uh, while not a very common cancer, it is a rapidly and very devastating disease um, that, you know, is, like I said, not the most common disease, but it is very, very mortal and it kills a lot of people that ha- end up getting brain cancer. So, um, and you might, you guys might rec- remember, like, um, Joe, Joe Biden's son, was a Hunter Biden, uh, died from uh, brain cancer as well. So it's just like, no, there's a lot Hunter, of very... Hunter Biden's the 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 other one. The, the one oh, the one in Ukraine. Scandal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or wh- whatever, whichever one it was that died from brain cancer, you know, is a very, um, very progressive, rapidly progressive disease that, um, you know, there is no cure or no, no good cure that way. I'll put it that way. No good cure for it. So that's uh, something that we're working on. We're kind of hoping um, next month, April, to have, uh, well, I don't know if we should wait until April to start doing it so we have the full month or we should just start it when we get it. Um, I don't What do you think, Sean? I start now. Okay. So whenever I get the contact info uh, for the lab, I will we'll post it and then start generating some stuff, start generating some uh, revenue towards um their lab and some of the research they're putting in um and then uh, another thing we're going to be working on is getting the book club up and running i think um april 1st or next next month i think we'll start the first book uh we have yet to decide which book we're going to do 
but kind of how I picture it. It was like at the beginning of the month, we announced like which book we're going to have, uh, we're going to read together. And then at the end of the month, you know, you guys have a full month to read a book. Corona. At the end of the month, we will uh, get together on the podcast and talk about the book and say, you know, share some of our experiences. We might have, you know, reach out some guys, maybe get some other guys to call in or some shit like that and try and make it a thing, talk about certain books. Uh, but that's kind of how I vision the book club running. Yeah, we're not going to read Ben Bergeron, though. No. And, uh, and we're not going to, like, crush you guys with, like, some, like, really, you know, high-level books or anything. Just kind of, like, keep it, you know, I think anyone, you should be able to read a book in, in, like, three weeks. Like, I don't care how busy you are. Like, you can, you have plenty of time that you can read throughout the day. Um, so don't okay. use that as an excuse to say that I don't read books. I fucking hate when guys say, when people tell me they don't read books. I'm like, what the fuck do you do with your time, then, if you don't read books? That's you know, assuming they're literate, Bobby. Yeah, well, there's plenty of, like my classmates in med school that say they don't read books. So I'm just like, what do you mean you don't read books? How do you learn? I've read like four books the last like two weeks. Cause I'm, I'm not going to school. So all I do like every day, I just read books. I've read like four books the last like two weeks. Cause I have nothing else to do. I mean, it's kind of sad, but also like really good. Cause I got to read a lot and learn a lot. Yeah. I'm not going to make anyone read my like boring law school books, like aside from textbooks, but stuff that I'm very interested in, uh, the expanse, uh, the Hyperion series, Expanse the Hobbit, uh, Witcher, anything sci-fi. If if you are a fan of Warhammer 40k, which is I think where I got such tactical prowess as a young child and employing laser cannons, they have a whole series of books. Uh, so recommend what you want to read with us, and we'll, we'll make like a maybe we'll invite Oprah. She's got like a decent book club going, so we'll Great. see. What, yeah, get Oprah on the on the on the cast. Nicholas Sparks. Book. But yeah, uh, Ashley has a great point. Uh, if you guys want to send in some recommendations that you guys uh, want to hear us talk about, we'll definitely add that to the list of books to talk about or to put on the list. But uh, nothing you read follow. in high school. Nothing actually. You, like, I don't know. There are some good books in now. high school that I've reread now and as an adult, and it's like this is a really good book still. I'll, I'll be read. I'll read Hemingway, like for whom bell tolls. That kind of like uh-huh. level of uh, reading, but I'm not reading like To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, female warrior. Uh, what else? Uh, oh, Joan of Arc. Things fall apart. Yeah, Joan of like yeah. Joan of Arc, the the play Joan of Arc. Who, who wrote that? Fuck. Shakespeare. No, it was not Shakespeare. I can't remember. But yeah, yeah we're not, we're gonna stray. We're we're gonna be a little more contemporary in terms of books we pick. We we pick. We're gonna pick. <laughs> we'll be a little more contemporary. Uh, but hopefully we'll have books that you know make you think a little bit or you know make you reflect a little bit and think a little bit about what your life or what you can do better in your life stuff like that yeah 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 uh but i will say that uh the classics are, are the classics for a reason uh i would love if everyone ran dostoevsky but i guarantee you 99 maybe i would say like probably 90 percent people will not read dostoevsky it's a really boring day man I don't know, man. Reading Crime and Punishment was was a really good book. I fucking hated Dostoevsky and when I was younger, like in uh, high school and college. Hated reading Dostoevsky. Could not read it. Picked it up like last, uh, like four or five months ago. I reread it and I was like really into it. It was really good, man. I think that uh, once you get older, I, I'm sure your tastes change just like everything else. And then I 
have started to appreciate more of the uh, literature that I was forced to read in high school and rereading it now. And I appreciate it way more now, probably because I'm not forced to do it. I think it's more that says more about like being forced to do something and not liking it because you just you're forced to do it versus doing it of your own accord, you know? Yeah, well, I get that. But got anything else, Bobby? Uh, that's probably it. We're wrapping it up. Uh, we haven't said this in a while, but please leave a five star review. Uh, drop some comments, uh, things that you, we can do better. Let us know. You know, uh, we've been getting a lot of good feedback on the gram, but uh, trying to help in that we can steer some more uh, attention towards podcasts. So share the podcast, leave a review, share with your friends, let your buddies know you're listening to this. I think we have some pretty good conversations, not to like jerk ourselves off, but you know, I think we have some pretty good content coming out through our podcast. It's not you know, just all bullshit, but a good mixture of bullshit and life lessons that we picked up throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, have a good killer week. Um, go do something meaningful this weekend. Take advantage of the good weather. If you're on the East coast, uh, mm-hmm. don't be fearful of Corona. Uh, f- don't make any Corona and Lyme jokes. It's played out already. So don't. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, have a good week guys. See you guys later. Peace. Peace.